Hey friends, this is John White with Stories from the Revolution, and this is episode number 25. In the last several episodes, I've been taking a look at one of the key skills in the new paradigm of church. I call it the skill of educing grace. Paul, in Ephesians 4-7, wrote, To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So grace, in this context, is referring to spiritual gifts. I think kind of a cool way to think about a spiritual gift is like our unique superpower. So everyone has one of these superpowers or more. And it's exactly the superpower that Christ wanted each one of us to have. These superpowers are the way that God works through each of us to equip and strengthen his church. In the new paradigm of church, everyone gets to play. Everybody participates. This is what Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, when he said, you know, when you come together, uh, the implications for church, uh, everyone has, and then he lists off a number of these different kinds of gifts. So if that's what church is about, where everybody gets to play, it makes sense that educing or drawing out grace in each one becomes essential. I was thinking back to my days in seminary. Uh, one of the classes that I had on a regular basis was called homiletics. Um, that's sort of the science of preaching, because preaching in the old paradigm of church was really a big deal. And I still think there's a place for that, for preaching and teaching. I'll do more episodes about that in the future. But I was thinking, what if we had had a series of classes on educing grace as being at least as important as the gift of preaching? Boy, what a difference that would have made. And the cool thing is that now in the Luke 10 community, uh, we can make up for that shortcoming. Educing grace is one of the things that we really value helping people learn how to do. So more episodes to come on this topic of educing grace. But sometimes there are important stories about the revolution that are so good that they need to be told. And in this episode, you're going to hear one of those. I was on a Zoom call this week with my friend Doug Beatty in Denver. And he told me the story of how their house church, which has grown to over 20 adults, just this last week has become six smaller house churches. How did that happen? Well, in Colorado, uh, the virus has been spiking, and even more in Denver, apparently. So the governor, Governor Paulus, uh, has a policy now <clears throat> of limiting gatherings to no more than 10 people from no more than two households. Mayor Hancock in Denver was even more restrictive. His policy reduced the number of people who can gather to only five. As Doug's house church listened to Jesus about this, they came to the conclusion, again, this is a house church of more than 20 people, they came to the conclusion that they should start <clears throat> six new house churches of two couples each. Now, I want to make three observations, <clears throat> excuse me, about the interview that you're about to hear. Number one, in any group, any house church, there are, are two movements and both are difficult. The first movement could be called the journey inward. 
This is where a group of people, as they began to meet, uh, they're in the process of becoming family, of bonding with one another, of learning to love each other. This is something that takes time and it's not easy because any group of people, just being people, means there will be inevitable conflicts and crises that will come along. If a group deals successfully with those, then the, one of the results is their hearts become bonded together. They, they learn to really love each other and enjoy being together. That's what had happened in Doug's house church. They'd been, been together for a number of years. And anytime the topic came up about multiplying or splitting, everybody said, no, we don't want to do that. We, we love each other. We want to meet together. So they had accomplished the first difficult task, which is the journey inward. The second journey that every group has to confront is what could be called the journey outward, which might mean multiplying into more than one groups, uh, one group. And this is also difficult. Again, a group has learned to love each other and they don't wanna split up, they wanna be together. And that's totally understandable. <clears throat> Here's the key as we understand it. We have to start and keep coming back to the idea that Jesus is the head of the church. Sometimes I, I jokingly say it like this. So Jesus is the head of the church. No, really, Jesus is the head of the church. Because back in the day when I was in the old paradigm, we, we always said that phrase. But I have to admit that often we didn't live that way. This comes from the place in Matthew 16 where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The important things here is it's his church, not mine. He's the one who's going to build it, not me. And so we always have to be going back to the question, not of what do I want to do in my church, whether it should multiply or not, but what is it Jesus wants us to do? Sometimes I say, don't ever multiply your church unless Jesus tells you to. So that's the first thing that we see in the story. This is a house church in Denver that had really learned to love each other, love being together. And yet now they're gonna divide or multiply into six house churches. Second observation, <clears throat> God has often used outside secular forces to multiply his church. When we see this, we really become aware that his ways often aren't our ways. Two classic examples of this. The first one is the story of China. By 1949, the church in China was estimated at maybe two to three million Christians. This is where Mao Zedong comes in, um, takes over, the, you know, the communists take over the whole country. They uh, throw out the missionaries. They put the pastors in jail or kill them. And they ban the meeting of all the churches. All the church buildings are closed down. So what happens? Well, the church goes underground. They begin meeting in homes. Sometimes women, can you imagine that? Women actually are the leaders of some of these churches. And we, in the West, we don't know about this for a long time. The bamboo curtain has come down. And so we don't really know what's going on in China. The, the assumption is that the church in China is finished. Um, it, it'll be just totally wiped off the map. But in fact, it proved to be quite resilient. It began meeting in homes. And what we have seen is the greatest probably church planting movement in history. Uh, some estimates are that there are as many as 100 million 
Christians in China today, maybe as many as a million house churches. And so in a sense, I think the Lord used Mao Zedong and the communist revolution as, as an impetus for church planting. Another story along this line took place in, in Cuba. Um, in the 1990s, um, people wanted to build, the church was growing, they wanted to build new church buildings, but the government uh, banned construction of new church buildings. That in addition to the fact that there was a gas shortage and you couldn't travel very far. What resulted from that, the estimates are, that perhaps 10,000 house churches were started over the next decade after the banning of building church buildings. So again, God's ways are not our ways. And in this case in Denver, on a smaller scale, uh, the Lord is using the mayor, uh, Mayor Hancock, to um, create these six new churches. Third observation. I think one of the keys to the starting of these six new churches is what we call in Luke 10, the two rhythms of attention. These are two simple things that we practice every time we get together in every meeting that we have. The first rhythm is learning to connect with one another on a heart level. We do that by checking in, we do that all the time that we meet. The second rhythm is learning to connect with Jesus on a heart level. Everything else flows from this. This is so simple that every member is equipped to facilitate. If you've been part of a house church or a group that's practicing those rhythms and you've learned how to do them, um, it's very easy for you then to facilitate uh, a group. So these six new groups uh, that are starting, these six new house churches, I think will be just great because they know how to do this. And then they know how to teach it to other people as people come into these new groups. So. Without further ado, here's my interview with Doug Beatty about what he calls the miracle of six new churches being started in Denver just this last week. Enjoy. So John White here, and I'm with my friend Doug Beatty, who has just told me a really fun story. So Doug, um, why don't you share just a little bit about yourself? Where are you? And uh, a little bit of your connection with Luke 10, and then just tell the story that you told me. Uh, yeah, my wife and I are here in Denver, and we first came to the Luke 10 conference about three years ago. We had started a small house church, and we were searching for materials that could help us kind of along this journey. And so uh, uh, one of the guys who were with us in the house church knew Kent and knew his involvement with house church. And so connected us to the uh, Luke 10 conference system. So we came and we've been now three different times. So we've been, we've had a house church here in Denver for about five years. And you'd, you'd always sort of thought about, um, I know you and Bart have thought about um, planting churches, but that really hadn't happened. Yeah, you know, the, the, the thing that we always ask ourselves is, how do you uh, go from one group to many groups because the people love spending time with each other so much. So it's like, we'd bring the idea up and then they'd be like, no, we don't want to do that. Um, so it was always a conundrum to us because I think the biggest question we were presented with was, well, how would this be able to be an evangelistic thing? And I think the guys, the legacy church that we left was probably their biggest criticism is the idea because it was a very evangelistic church. And it was like, well, how would this ever become something that would win the world. And, and uh, so that was kind of something 
we would have be presented that with presented that question uh, on more than one occasion by the people from the group, the main group that we left, because that was kind of the central thing on their mind was, well, how would you ever be able to fulfill uh, the Great Commission uh, when people just want to all kind of clump up in somebody's house and, and all stay together? Right. And so surprisingly, very recently, something occurred that resulted in the planting of six new six churches, right? So explain. Yeah, you know, we, we had gotten up into the 20s and we all realized that it was too much. Uh, Kent has, has reminded us of that uh, several different times that that the larger it gets, the less the connections. There's just too many ways for connections. So, and Bart and I and our families, we didn't really think and praying about it. We weren't sure how to go about this. And I think the whole group had had it on, had it on its mind. So, so COVID-19 kind of solved that for us. Um, because the governor issued a, a mandate that the groups couldn't be any larger than, I think, six. And the group just slowly had evolved to the point that they realized that meeting in smaller groups would be a, a really good solution. So out of it, we now have six smaller groups that are all meeting independently. And I'm really thrilled with every group. I think every group, they're close friends. Um, I think they'll really be family to each other. We're going to meet on Zoom once a month, but other than that, uh, we're going to meet and they've allowed people to just meet together without having to have masks or kids can join in. I think all those things were hindrance to us throughout the COVID process. So, you know, you, you're going to have to allow some people into your, your circle and it's easier to allow one couple into the circle than 15 couples into the circle. So, um, so from just from a, about him what the governor of the state wants us to do, but also I just I just felt like Bart and I just looked at each other and we were like, I think we just saw a miracle. It's like, I think we just saw how we, how how hard is it to start a church exactly? It's like I think it's pretty easy. So it was just really thrilling, and I'm, I just feel like every group is their close friends. Um, I think it's just going to be thrilling. I I'm excited for everybody. And one of the things we do in Luke 10, we teach everyone are what we call these two rhythms of attention, which you guys had been practicing in the larger group, so that when you split into six smaller groups, everybody had a pretty good idea of how to do that, right? So say, say just the right. Yes. Yeah, we, you know, the, the checking in process came really quickly to the group. I think even people who were there for the first time kind of innately grasped the significance in, and the importance of learning how to check in. And, and I think people have been growing in their ability and their desire to have people really understand what's going on in their life. And the group's really grown in its ability to hold on to those issues and pray for each other and kind of do follow up with each other around that. And so that rhythm has come pretty quickly. And I think every group understands that our monthly meeting will be just, we'll get on Zoom with all of the groups and just do a check-in and uh, we'll have to be time efficient with that, but that's, the groups wanted to hold on to that so that we'll hang on to each other's kind of hearts in a way. So we'll do that once a month. And then I think we've just slowly grown at the rhythm of, of listening to Jesus. And I think that for some people that comes pretty, pretty quickly and pretty naturally. Other people kind of grow slowly out of it. Some people, they have a hard time with it, um, but we have practiced it consistently in making decisions. We did it on this thing when we started out trying to figure out how to respond to this COVID thing. We had a listening moment uh, where we just tried to really listen and 
discern. I think we've done that pretty consistently over the last couple of months, trying to discern what the best response to this COVID situation was and what God would be is trying to get accomplished. And so then it just became really obvious when it came time to discuss it. And the solution just sort of fell in place as we were, it was a more easy, it should have been a hard uh, solution, but I just felt like God prepared everybody and it, it just kind of clicked. So the all six of the groups just kind of formed and people were, were embraced it and, and uh, they understood the, the need for it. And so it was just kind of like an off to the races moment, you know, where it's like, oh, wow, look at this, you know. And so this, this week will be the first week that everybody's met in their smaller group. And I, I'm really excited about it. I think the people who have gone together on these things are all already are really close friends. Uh, and I think that, uh, um, I think what will happen is because the group now is small, it won't be that difficult to invite new people right. into the space. And, and I, I kind of see that coming. I think we're all going to figure, have to figure out how we want to go about that kind of, we're all kind of discussing because we had a couple that wanted to join in um, this go around. And I think, you know, as we discussed that with everybody, it was like, why don't we figure out how to do that sure. rather than just, you know, start having other people kind of join in. So I think we'll have a period where we, you know, the new groups kind of form and solidify and then they're each, we're going to figure out, well, how exactly do we bring new people in? But I do think it sets the stage for that to happen. Uh, I think that it's a lot easier when there's just four of you or six of you in a room to get somebody to come than when there's 20 of you in a room. It kind of innately stops itself because, you know, the dimensions of your room prevent it from going any further. So, so I do believe it does set the stage for seeing, um, you know, new people brought in. And I, in my mind, it, it has kind of solved the dilemma of this whole, how, do, how, do, how does this, how do you multiply in this situation? I feel like God kind of used this COVID thing just to show us like, oh, well, here's how it would multiply. And uh, um, so we were thrilled. I, I, just, I felt honestly like I'd seen a miracle. It was like, wow, well, we'll give, that was we'll pretty amazing. Governor, we'll give the governor of Colorado credit for starting. <laughs> and the mayor both, they, they, they both get on it right on that so well doug thank you for sharing that story that is a, that's a wonderful story we'll look forward to hearing uh, update on that as time goes on so yeah you bet you bet